Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much. Take a seat. Take a seat. As you sit down, why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, it's a beautiful day. And you're a beautiful person. Oh, look at that. You guys are nice. You guys are nice to each other. Some of you got ambushed. You're like, yeah, I can say it's a beautiful day to this person. And then now you're calling him a beautiful person. You're like, oh, awkward. Sorry. Very cool. Very cool. Thanks, band. You guys are all good. How great is our band? Yeah? Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, give them a hand. Um, awesome. Well, as Jordan said, um, my name is Jono, and it's my uh, privilege, <laughs> privilege to get to, to finish off this series, which I thought was called Dreams Are Free, but we can call it whatever we want, you know? I can't remember what you and I was going to go with what George said, and then I forgot what he said when he was there. In your dreams. In your dreams. Dreams are free, you know? Just, just dream. Turn to your neighbor and say, uh, dream. That, Patti, do you know how to sing that song from um, Les Mis? I'm just joking. <laughs> Because <laughs> I was going to, and then I realized that we wanted to keep people in the room for more than, I'm not going to. Oh, it's, the mic turned off when I tried to sing. Ah, oh, it's, it's, it's Jesus protecting you. Very cool. So um, for those of you who've been with us for the last, uh, for the last month or so, we, we, we kind of just finished a, a series, not last week, obviously, but, but the week before that called Inside Out, right? And, and in this series, we were really looking at this idea of what does it look like for us to build godly character, right? What, what does it look like for, for us to become people who have uh, godly characteristics, who, who become more like Christ? And, and we looked at these, uh, these four ideas. We looked at this idea of, of courage, of, of discipline, of vision, and of endurance, right? Does, does anyone remember that? Yeah, yeah. Well, and and our, our prayer in that series was that it wouldn't just be another kind of nice series. It wouldn't just be something you could write down in your notebook. It wouldn't just give you a few kind of tweetable statements, some, some nice things you could chuck up on Facebook during the week, but that it would really uh, land in our hearts. And, and we know that, you know, starting a series in, in four weeks, who knows, you're not going to become uh, exactly like Christ, Right? Hopefully none of you went in with the expectation, by the end of this Inside Out series, I will be perfect. Right? Because you might be uh, maybe not disappointed in yourself. Maybe you think you have attained perfection, right? which is um, difficult conversation. Maybe you're disappointed in someone else. You're like, I thought they'd be perfect by the end of this, and uh, they're still the same old them, right? Hopefully not. A bit of an awkward silence. Turn to your neighbor and say, I, I still love you. I wasn't judging you. Right, but, but here's the thing, right? We were on this series about what does it look like to develop godly character, and we want to be on that, that uh, train for the, for the rest of our lives, right? Always developing godly character. But, but the series, Dreams Are Free, for me, really lands in what happens when we're developing godly character. Does that mean we should make a godly difference? Right, is what we're going to do as a church is, is the, um, the hosts are going to stand up, and they're actually, we've hidden some contraptions behind the doors, and we're going to barricade you all in. Right, You actually cannot leave this building until you have attained the character of Christ, and then we'll go out and change the world. Right, But it might be a few long weeks, slash months, slash years. We're just going to camp out. Don't worry, we've got a coffee machine. We'll eat the youngest and the weakest first. And uh, you know, by the end of it, it'll just be a few people will emerge, but they will be. They will be holy, right? They will be set apart. We will emerge victorious, the, the army of Christ, right? That's not what we're doing. Some people are getting excited. Some people are like, this, this is what I've been training my whole life for. I knew those survival courses I took when I was 15 would work out. Right? But, but here's the thing. If, if we're working on developing godly character, what happens next? Right? 
Is, is life as Christians just about working on us and working on us and working on us until we're convinced that we're perfect and then going out and changing the world? Because I want to suggest, I don't know about you, but if that's the case for me, I'm not going to be making much of a difference for a long time, maybe ever. So, so what do we do if, if we're in this space of developing godly character, of being on a journey, of pushing forward? How do we still make a difference in our world, right? Change of, change of tact. Who here is familiar with activewear? Just quick show of hands, right? Activewear for, for, the, for the uninitiated is um, it's, it's sportswear that is often worn, or it's the name given to sportswear when it's not worn doing sports, right? So, so activewear is, is, is that, um, that, that name we'd give to, and, and not to kind of classify or pick anyone out, but maybe a, a, a lady who is in yoga pants at the cafe, and nowhere in her day has she gone to yoga or for a jog or any sort of exercise. She's just wearing the yoga pants because they're quite comfortable, right? And I'm not, I'm not judging anyone here. I am, but I'm not really judging anyone here because I totally understand, right? I have some basketball singlets at home, and I wear my basketball singlets at home, and I do not play basketball in them, right? I like to think I can play basketball. Before the service, I tried to play basketball, and, and me and the hoop were having a disagreement about whether I could or not. For some reason, I thought I could, and the hoop was like, no, look, your shots are not going in. You cannot play basketball. I was like, there's no backboard, right? Obviously, I'm more of like a, I'm a bank shot. Come on. Yeah, you know, Jack knows. You know, I, hey, Jack, you got me. Could have been drafted. Anyway, right? So, so we've got this, this idea of active wear, and active wear I can understand. I can understand, you know, putting on clothes that are comfortable and going about your day-to-day life, but something that confuses me is compression clothing, right? Compression clothing is the next step in active wear. Compression clothing is that lycra-tight, like, skins, right? It's, it's that type of clothing that you put on, and it literally, it, it just... It's very tight, right? It is so tight that it compresses you. That's why it's called compression clothing, right? And, and compression clothing or, or, or compression wear, it's, it's designed for the following reasons, right? It's meant to be worn by athletes, and it's designed for the following reasons. Four reasons. The first reason is to keep muscles warm to prevent muscle strain. Right, that the second reason is to, to wick sweat away from the body to prevent chafing and rashes. Can I get an amen? Right? No one want a rash, right? That the third reason is to help relieve pain from muscle stiffness and soreness, right? Operating on the assumption that the last time you wore this compression clothing, you did something arduous enough to need to relieve muscle stiffness and soreness. And the fourth reason is to stabilize joints, right? Because you don't want to like pop out your shoulder or, or do your knee while you're walking down Ponsonby Road to get your chai latte. But, but here's the thing, right? As I said earlier, I'm not meaning to judge. All the words coming out of my mouth might sound judgmental, right? I apologize for that. My heart is, is judgmental. But um, I, I just have a problem with compression clothing, right? I'm all right with active wear. I get the idea. But down the end of town that I work, there are some, some men, and they like to go jogging at lunchtime. And I've got no problem with jogging at lunchtime. But they choose to wear compression tights when they go jogging at lunchtime. And they don't understand that maybe it would be a good idea to put something else on top of the compression tight, right? So they're running along and, and they're wearing their superhero leotard, essentially. And they're jogging through town. And I'm like, I didn't want to see that. Right? You, you did not ask my permission to, to, to wear this. You are essentially naked, sir. 
in the middle of town. The beehive is right there. Please have some respect for our government. Right? For shame, what if Bill English saw you? Or Paula Bennett, she'd have something to say. Right? Here's the thing. It's, it's, it's ridiculous to, to be wearing compression clothing going for, for a walk through town, right? It's ridiculous to think that we need this sort of protection, that we're going to drink our, our low-fat soy decaf mocha latte so vigorously that we might hurt our shoulder. And yet at the same time, we as Christians need to be so careful that we're not the compression clothing of spirituality. Right, that our lives aren't, aren't engineered around protecting ourselves. That our life isn't engineered around, man, what am I going to do to contain myself, to protect myself, to make myself comfortable? And we end up being ready, right? Wearing the clothing appropriate to, to playing some intense sport. But all we ever do is go for a brisk jog and drink a latte, right? We never affect the change in the world that we're meant to, even though we're ready. We put on the armor of Christ and we never go to war. Right, see, what would it look like if we truly believed that what we dreamed for could change the world? What would it look like if we dreamed a dream to change the world, to, to make a difference, to operate in the purpose that we're designed for? This morning, if you're taking notes, my talk is titled, How to Pray an Impossible Prayer. How to Pray an Impossible Prayer. And in a second, we're going to open the Bible. But before we do, I just want you to, to just think on a need in your life. If it helps you to concentrate, maybe just close your eyes just for a minute. And think about something in your life that you need, a, a problem in your life, a, a situation in your life. Maybe it's a, a relationship that needs repairing. Maybe it's a situation at work. Maybe it's a friend or a family member that you want to see meet Christ. Maybe it's a, a sickness. Maybe it's something to do with a, a health issue or a mental health issue or, or just a direction in your life. But something that, if you're honest, currently feels impossible, that feels so far from where you currently are, a, a, an impossible job, right? An, an impossible dream, an impossible relationship. See, what I've been praying this week as I've, as I've been writing this message isn't that, that it would just be a good sermon, but that this morning something would be a catalyst that God would use to inspire us to believe for the impossible in our lives. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Joshua chapter 10. We're going to read verse 7 to 14. A reading from the NLT, uh, New Living Translation. We'll check it up on the screen. And it, and it says this. So Joshua and his entire army, including his best warriors, left Gilgal and set out for Gibeon. Do not be afraid of them, the Lord said to Joshua, for I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up to you. Joshua traveled all night from Gilgal and took the Amorite armies by surprise. The Lord threw them into a panic. The Israelites slaughtered great numbers of them at Gibeon. Then the Israelites chased the army along the road to Beth Horon, killing them all along the road from Ezekah to Makeda. As the Amorites retreated down the road from Beth Horon, the Lord destroyed them with a terrible hailstorm from heaven and continued until they reached Ezekah. The hail killed more of the enemy than the Israelites killed with the sword. On the day the Lord gave the Israelites the victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all of the people of Israel. And this is the verse I want us to focus on. Joshua says to God in front of everyone, 
Let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. Is this event not recorded in the book of Jesha? The sun stayed in the middle of the sky and it did not set as on a normal day. There has never been a day like this one before or since when the Lord answered such a prayer. Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. Why don't you bow your heads? Let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity of coming together as your people. God, thank you for this room. Thank you for this hall. Thank you for this school. God, thank you for these people that we get to do life with, God, that we get to call our friends and our family. God, I pray that as we're here, as we're leaning into what it is that you're saying this morning, God, that, that you would stir something in our hearts. God, that you would inspire us, that you would challenge us, that you would convict us, that you would confirm words you've already spoken to us, that we would leave knowing that we met and heard from the Lord who created the universe. God, thank you that you love us, that you have good things in store for us, and that we can trust you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So this is an interesting portion of Scripture, right? I don't know if you've, you've read it before. You've probably kind of come across it. You might have moved through it. In Joshua, there's a lot of kind of epic moments, right? Epic battles. But I want to I set the scene a little bit for you because I think some, some context here would be helpful, right? Is that all right? Do you like some context? I'll set some context. It'll be interesting, I promise, right? So, so to start off with, we need to understand that Joshua is leading Israel, right? Joshua is leading Israel. He's taken over from Moses, right? Moses is the guy who, who led the Israelites out of Egypt, as is shown 100% historically accurate with songs included in the hit film, best film of all time, Prince of Egypt, right? It's mandatory viewing. If you believe Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you need to watch it at least once a year and know at least one song, right? You don't, but that is my personal opinion, and I do like it a lot, right? There's I ah, in the Red Sea, and you get to see the whale beautiful. Right, so, so, so Joshua is leading the people of Israel, right? He's, he's taken over from, from Moses, and he's leading them into the promised land, right? The promised land sounds like what it is. It is the land that has been promised to the Israelite people by God, right? Joshua's life mission is to lead them into this land. The only problem is there are people already in this land, Right? There's a whole lot of enemies of Israel that are occupying the land. And these enemies are enemies physically, but they also represent all of the wrong gods that Israel has worshipped. Right? They, they, they represent the, the gods of, of spilling your blood to appease the gods. Right? They represent the gods of sacrificing children to appease the gods. They represent the gods of, of uh, uh, immoral, uh, immoral sexuality to, to appease the gods. Right? It's all of the things that, that they've done wrong, all of the places that they've turned to. And so part of driving these enemies out of the promised land is, is removing them physically, but also driving these wrong thoughts and attitudes out of the Israelites' hearts. Right, saying we're not going to be those people anymore. We're not going to try and appease God by, by killing our children or by spilling blood or, or by having these, these massive parties anymore. We're going to realize that it's about a relationship with God. And, and so what happens is, is he's, he's trying to take the promised land, but Joshua gets himself into trouble. Right, what happens is, is there's this group of people in the promised land called the Gibeonites, 
right? And the Gibeonites, they start to see what Joshua's doing. He's just taken uh, Jericho. He's defeated the, the Ammonites, and, and, and they're starting to, to push in. And the Gibeonites turn to each other, and they're like, this dude Joshua and this, this nation of Israel are bad news for us. What can we do, right? And so they come up with this plan that they're going to trick Joshua into signing a peace treaty with them. Right, so what they do, and, and they're quite cunning about it, what they do is, is they take, um, they take some, some sacks of, of bread, and they, they take it, and they take some, some wineskins, and they let the, the bread go moldy, and they let the wineskins kind of dry up and crack, and, and then they get some of their men, and they, they put them in old, rough clothes, and they let their beards grow out, and they ride over to the Israelites, and, and the Israelites say, stop, who are you? Because, you know, if you're in this promised land, if you're our enemies, we're going to have a problem. They say, no, 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 we're the Gibeonites. We're from ages away, right? We're from really, really far off. In fact, when we set off to meet you, this bread that we baked, it was hot from the oven. It was fresh and delicious and beautiful. And, and, and this wine, it, it was ready. It was in a fresh new wineskin. And our clothes, they were pristine. And, and our hair was well kept. But now look at us, right? We've been riding for so long that the bread has gone moldy. The, the wine has dried up. And look at our clothes and our appearance. And, and so Joshua and the Israelites without consulting God, say, well, you know, we don't need to fight these guys. We'll make a treaty with them, that this will be fine. And so they, they sign a peace treaty, and, and they swear an oath before God. And then the Gibeonites turn around, and they're like, oh, when we said really far away, we meant just over that hill. Is that really far by your count? And Joshua's like, no, right, problem. See, because Joshua has been commanded by God to drive all of the enemies out of the promised land, but he's just sworn an oath in front of God, an oath that he's held to by God with these people, right? So here the Gibeonites are, and they're the, the unwanted ally of Joshua. And then what happens is the rest of the kings in the promised land, they hear about this, this, this truce, this peace treaty, this oath that's been sworn, and they say, we can't have people going over to Joshua's side, right? Because then we will be destroyed. So what we need to do is we'll attack the Gibeonites. We'll, we'll kill them, and, and Joshua will have to help them, and then we'll be able to set the tone of the battle, and we'll kill Joshua too, right? So they decide to ride against the Gibeonites. So here Joshua is. He's being forced to ride to the defense of people he never wanted to be allied with in the first place. Right, this is the situation in Joshua chapter 10, verse 7. Joshua is, is fighting a fight that he never meant to fight. And he needs God to get him out of a situation that he got himself into. Have you ever needed that? Have you ever needed God to get you out of a situation that you put yourself into? Right, maybe, maybe it's God, I, I racked up this debt, but I really want to get my life in order. I really want to be able to be a generous person. I want to be able to dream and plan for the future, and I've got this debt. God, help me to solve this debt. God, God, I really want to have good relationships with people, but, but every relationship I seem to have, I'm approaching from a wounded and hurting place, and I don't mean to, but I sabotage it. God, I want to advance in my career, but, but back here, I wasn't a person of good character, and I built a reputation for myself of, of not being someone who honors my boss and who works hard. And now everyone in my workplace doesn't want to give me an opportunity because of the mistakes I made before. God, I've developed this addiction. And I know that I need to be free. I know that you've called me to be free, but, but I've enslaved myself and I've put myself in this situation. And God, I'm in a place that I put myself in, but I need you to help me get out of it. See, if you've ever been in a situation that you got yourself into and you need God to get you out of it, you can relate to Joshua. 
See, God delivered Joshua in the midst of the battle that he shouldn't have even been fighting if he'd done it God's way the first time around. See, I think a lot of us, we don't pray the impossible prayers. We don't dream the impossible dreams because we have this this, this lie in our heads that says, it's my mistake, it's my responsibility. Right? I I made the mistake. I stuffed up. I made this mess. I'm just going to have to put in some elbow grease and some time and some tears and some guilt and some shame and clean it up myself. And once I'm ready and pristine, then I can ask God for help in my life. Right? But it's my mistake, my responsibility. But here we see that God is the God who turns our mistakes into His miracles, right? The God who comes through, and and Joshua is fighting this enemy to defend the Gibeonites, the unwanted allies. And and you're just going to have to read the rest of Joshua 9 and 10 to get it. It's an awesome story. But just as Joshua is about to finish off his adversaries, just as he's about to win this, this impossible victory, the sun starts to set. And the sun setting means that that all of his enemies are going to be able to disappear. It's going to get dark. It's going to be nighttime. He's not going to be able to see where they're going to go, and they'll just scatter. They'll run to the hills, and there's no chance that the Israelites can track them down. And Joshua remembers that God promised him that not one of his enemies is supposed to stand against him, that he and the Israelite people are meant to occupy the entire promised land. And, and so Joshua, in, in what I'm sure had to be a moment of desperation, prays something that he's never prayed before, that he's never heard or seen anyone pray before. But, but what other choice does he have? So out loud in front of the whole nation, he stands there, stares at the sun and says, Son, stand still. See, if this was me, I think probably what I would have done taking myself off to a little corner of the battlefield while they were fighting over there and said, hey guys, focus on attacking them just for a minute. And I would have been up over here like, yeah, yeah keep on focusing over there. And uh, son, stand still. Because then if it didn't work, right, then if it didn't work, I don't have to tell anyone, right? Then if it didn't work out, I could be like, oh no, it was just, I was just testing my voice. Sun stand still was just like a code word I was going to use for when the archers did another thing. And it was just, but if it did work, I could be like, guys, look, the sun stands still over there. I prayed that. You didn't hear me. I was whispering it, but I prayed it. And you know, just props to me, right? Because here's the thing. Joshua is putting everything on the line. If Joshua stands in the middle of the battlefield, stares at the sun and tells it to stand still and it doesn't work, we're not reading the book of Joshua. We're reading the book of like Joshua's nephew who took over once his uncle stood in the middle of a battlefield and just shouted at the sun until he took an arrow in the face. Right, Joshua is putting everything on the line in this moment. Because here's the thing, I've got three points this morning. My first point is impossible prayers look bold. But point number one, impossible prayers require humility. See, here's what I love about this miracle. We know that scientifically, Joshua was praying the wrong thing, right? The sun does not revolve around the earth, right? The earth revolves around the sun. For those of you who didn't learn that in school, there you go. You can take something away. You can tell your friends. I found out about how the solar system works. There you go, right? But, but so to pray this prayer, he's not asking for just a little thing to happen, right? He's not asking for just like a little, oh, you know, sun stands still. It's just that that happens every now and again, right? He's asking for something that defies every law of, of, of physics that we understand, right? And I don't know how God did it, 
right? I don't know if it was like a localized occurrence and there was some sort of lunar solar eclipse thing that made it seem as if the sun stood still. I don't know if there was some mirror, right? God was like, yeah, ding, ding, right? This was the, the first, maybe God bought some aliens and, and there was a UFO and they were like, wow. And the guys were like, wow, those guys are fighting. This looks like a dangerous place and they flew away. Right? I don't know if it was just God, you know, made everyone's perception that the sun was there, that God just placed a, a fire in the middle of the sky as the sun set. God's done that before in other places. I don't know how we did it and, and I don't really mind. But here's the thing. Joshua prayed a prayer that, that he shouldn't have prayed because he wasn't worried about what makes sense. He was worried about relying on God. Because God's not insulted by our big requests. If anything, God's insulted by us dreaming too small, about praying for the small things, limiting what we think that God can do. Because if we're honest, sometimes we pray dumb, small prayers. Right? If I'm honest with you, sometimes I pray dumb and small prayers. And, and I know, right, God just wants to hear our heart. And I know that God knows what we really mean. But, but I realized about a year ago that I was praying prayers sometimes that were, were so sterile and, and so safe and so caveated with every single, you know, but if this happens, if this happens, if this happens, if this happens, that I wasn't really praying anything at all. And I'm not saying that they're wrong, but, but sometimes the only prayer I'd pray in a day would be, God, just be with me today, which that's a good prayer, right? That's a, a good place to start, right? You're telling God that you want his blessings and to feel him with you. But, but one time I prayed that prayer and I just felt like God was saying to me, is that all? Is that all you have for today? Is that you prayed that yesterday? You prayed that the day before? You've been praying that for the past month? I actually haven't heard anything else from you other than just be with me. You're not in a bad place. You're not struggling. If, if you were in a bad place and struggling, that would be a good prayer just to know my presence. But you're fine, and you're praying these small prayers. Right? Like God was like, well, first of all, I don't think you understand how it works. I kind of made everything. So I'm kind of in everything. So, so while I appreciate you offering me the invitation to be with you today, Jonathan, kind of already was planning on it considering I inhabit all things that I created. So thank you for walking on my earth. But, you know, thanks for giving me permission to walk alongside you today, Jonathan. Really great that, you know, you thought that you could fit me into your schedule. Right, because it's not a wrong prayer to pray. It's a good starting place. But some of us, that's as far as we ever get. God, God, just be with me today. And in our lives, we have these problems and we have these situations and these needs and these dreams and we tell everyone about them except God. Hey, hey, listen to my dream. Listen to my need. Listen to my problem. Listen to my situation. God's like, hey, do you need anything from me? Now we're all good. Listen to my need. Listen to my problem. Listen to my situation. Do you need anything from me? No, God, I'm good. Listen to my need. Listen to my problem. Listen to my dream. Do you, God, I already told you we're fine. Right, and then we wonder why we don't feel like God is with us. God's like, I'm ready to act, but you told me you're all good, and all you need is just to be with me today. See, what would happen if we started to pray prayers that weren't just formulaic, that weren't just out of a prayer book, that we got a little bit bolder, and we prayed a whole prayer, and we actually had a conversation with God, and then at the end of the prayer, then once we finally got to having bold prayers, you might do something like this. God, I'm praying for this and this and this, if it be your will which is fine, right? Maybe you've grown up in church and you've heard that a lot. People say, if it be thy will or, or if it's in your will, which, which is fine, right? But again, are we caveating the prayer that we have? Like, hey, God, I really want you to do this. I really need you to do this. But, you know, just if you feel like it. And then God's up in heaven and he's like, oh, 
I was going to have to do this for Jonathan. I was going to have to do these miracles for Jono, but luckily, he said, it's, if it's in my will, and I checked my will, and it's not, so we're all right. right? And, and it's a good prayer to pray if we're praying it like Jesus does in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? God, I have this immeasurable, immovable, huge thing in front of me, and I don't know how I'm going to do it, but God, if it's your will, I'm going to step out and believe that you're with me. But if we're just trying to give God a caveat, what does that say about our relationship with God? What does that say about who we believe God is? Shouldn't we get to the point in our Christian lives where we walk in step with God like Joshua was in step with God? You know, Joshua, when he prays this prayer, he didn't say, God, be with me. Make the sun stand still if it's in your will. He just stood there and boldly declared. He was bold enough to say, Lord, I know your promises. I know you promised me that nobody is supposed to be able to stand against me. I know you promised me that, that you, you made me to lead this nation. And I need you to do something right now. So I'm going to pray boldly because here's the thing. The greatest humility that you can demonstrate is to put yourself in a position where if God doesn't come through, you're going to look stupid. And so often I think we protect ourselves by putting these little things in front of our prayers. God, just be with me today. I won't pray anything bigger because then if it doesn't happen, I won't be disappointed. God, God, can you please come through for me in this big way? Can you please work this miracle? But, but God, only if it's in your will, because then again, you know, if it doesn't happen, I, I don't really need to be that invested because then I won't be that disappointed. See, the humblest thing you can do is to say, God, only you can do it. God, would you make the sun stand still? What if we were, we were bold and humble enough to take that dream, that, that need, whatever it might be in your family, in your finances, in your life, and say to God, God, only you can do it. Because what we ask God for is a direct reflection of what we believe about his capability, his capacity, his character, and his nature. So I'm wondering this morning, what is the sun stand still prayer that you need to pray today? What is the impossible thing that God wants you to do through your life? Will you be bold and humble enough to pray? it? Because at one time, maybe you believed that God could. At one time, maybe you believed that God would do great things through you. At one time, you believed that, that through you, God could be generous. At one time, you believed that through you, God could raise a family that would make a difference in the world. But, but somewhere along the way, we've settled into spiritual survival mode. And our prayers have descended to the lowest, common, safest denominator. Maybe this morning, God just wants to remind you that He is still able to make the sun stand still. So my second point this morning is, is here's the thing about impossible dreams, about impossible prayers. Point number two is that impossible prayers require our effort. See, notice the thing that goes on here is God gives the victory to Joshua, but Joshua still had to fight the battle. See, that, that, that's why we made sure to note in the series that we just finished, Inside Out, that, that us developing godly character requires godly prayer, yeah, but it also requires us to make a godly effort. There's a reason that, 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 that two of the topics were endurance and discipline, because becoming the people that God has called us to be sometimes means that we have to put in some hard work. Because the, Josh, because the Bible says that not only did Joshua pray, that the sun would stand still, but that he was willing to march all night 
to fight the battle. Right, here's the thing. If you're going to pray that God would make the sun stand still, you'd better be ready to march all night. Right, not, not so that you can earn God's love, right? That's not what this is about. Like Tim said, we cannot earn God's love. Not so that you could earn God's grace or his favor. We're just not going to be able to attain that. But because God always involves our faith and our works before he supernaturally brings his grace into our situation. See, where have you been praying a long time and now you just need to step out and start acting as if that prayer has been answered? Where is it in your life that you need to start charging as if the sun is not going to set? You need to start behaving as if God is with you. Where do we need to pray, God, save my friends. God, help them to find hope and love and truth. And then we need to start telling our friends about the hope and the love and the truth that we have found. Right, to pray a prayer and then look, God, where can I be a part of your solution? Right, it's like it says in in James chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Where is God trying to say to us, you're great at speaking the words of the prayer, but prayer is about more than words? Where have we fallen into the trap of thinking that all we need to do is just chant? Just pray and pray and pray and pray, and that's great, but don't get mad at God if you're praying and nothing happens, if you're not stepping out and creating opportunities for God to work in. If you're praying for a job, but you're not volunteering or or applying for jobs or doing something other than the words you're speaking, how different is your life to when you weren't praying? If, If you're praying reconciliation, but the answer you want is for them to pick up the phone, give you a call and tell you how right you were, how is the prayer for reconciliation really changed your life? If you're praying for advancement at work, but you're not also working to the best of your ability, loving your colleagues and honoring your boss, what opportunity are you giving God to work in? And where is the evidence that your prayer is actually believed? Right, see, impossible prayers require us to chase opportunities into the dark, believing the sun won't set or that God will light our path. See, just as I finish up, in life, sometimes we, we pray for impossible things, and sometimes we don't see the result that we wanted. In, in, in fact, some of you hate this moment. You hate sermons like this because you don't want someone to come up here and, and, and start getting you to feel hope. Right, hyping up the hope in you. You'll be sitting there right now and you might not even have intended to, but in the back of your mind, there's, there's reasons. Yeah, Jono, that's great, but you don't know the last time I hoped I was hurt like this. Jono, the last time I, I prayed a big prayer, God let me down so massively and, and, and I hoped and I believed and, and as soon as I got my hopes up, something brought them crashing down. Just as soon as I thought, maybe this can happen, maybe God can use me, maybe I can make a difference, something happened. 
Something went wrong. Something fell apart. Something hurt you in such a way that maybe you wish you had never prayed that prayer in the first place. See, my final point today on on praying impossible prayers, point number three is impossible prayers require our trust. Because here's the thing. If we're honest with ourselves, the thought when we read the Scripture, that that thought that's at the back of our mind that we just try and keep quiet, that we just try and just shush as we we think, yeah, no, I can hope, I can believe. But that that thought that comes out to the front when when we're at home and it's, it's our chance to pray the impossible prayer when it's our time to do the business with God, the the thought that comes to the front is it's great that Jesus made the sun stand still for Joshua. But what if he doesn't for me? What if I pray an impossible prayer and, and, and nothing happens? Because in my life, I've prayed for people to be healed and they've stayed sick. In my life, I've prayed for resurrection and been confronted with death. In life, what do you do when, if we're honest, we pray impossible prayers, we follow the steps that the preacher told us to do, we're humble and we pray and we we act as if it's going to happen, but nothing does, and we're disappointed, but worse than disappointed, we become disenfranchised. We start to assume, no, God answers other people's big prayers. Big prayers are for people like Jordan. Big prayers are for people who stand on stages and hold microphones and and, and do big things. Big prayers aren't for me because when I pray big prayers, it just hurts more than it's worth. See, here's the thing. We we can always trust that God's going to be at work in our lives. We can't insist that He works the way we want Him to. See, John chapter 11 is the story of Lazarus. And, and Lazarus is a friend of Jesus's who dies. And, and, and Jesus raises him from the dead. But, but when Jesus arrives at Lazarus's house in the middle of the funeral week that they're having, he's confronted by Martha, Lazarus's sister, who says that if Jesus was here, Lazarus would not have died. Maybe you can relate to that feeling. God, I stepped out in what I felt you were telling me to do. God, I prayed the prayer that I felt you were telling me to pray. God, I shared with the person I felt that you were telling me to share with. I put my hopes in the thing I I felt that you were telling me to hope, and I, I reached for that goal. I dared to dream that dream, and God, all I feel, the fruits of my my effort and my dreaming and my hope and my faith are is disappointment and hurt, and God, I just don't know if I can try again. Jesus, if you'd shown up earlier, Lazarus would still be alive. And, And Jesus responds to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. See, some of you will know that that just over a year ago, my nephew passed away. And, And I remember praying over him, praying and praying and praying for God to raise him back to life. God, holding him and praying, God, this will be an awesome testimony. God, we could travel around the world and thousands of people will come to know you. God, look at the amazing things. God, I'm sure that he's going to be an amazing man for you. God, I'll do so many things if you just answer this prayer. And I was confronted with the fact that he didn't come back. And I don't know why. 
and I would love to, to, to know, and I'm going to ask God, and I live in the strain of not knowing why, but I do know that God brings life. And so I started to, to ask God, God, where are you bringing life in this situation? God, you said that you are the resurrection and the life and you are here and this boy is not living right now. So where is the life? God, if you're not going to perform a physical miracle right now, I better see a real miracle in me and my family and my world. See, the, the word resurrection in the Greek, it's the word anastasis and it literally means to stand up or to stand again. And, and sometimes we pray a prayer for life and God brings a resurrection, not in the physical, but in that He helps us to stand again. And He weeps with us. And He says, look, this isn't gonna happen right now and you don't understand, but it's not your job to understand. It's your job to trust me and to stand again. Can the resurrection in your life be a resurrection of your trust in God? Knowing that you were hurt, knowing that you were disappointed and not knowing why, but standing on Scripture. See, I started to pray these Scriptures. Isaiah 61 verse 3, God, you give beauty for ashes. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 54, death is swallowed up in victory. Isaiah 54 verse 17, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. So I started saying to God, God, you bring victory from death. So where is the victory here? God, I know you're moving. Help me to see it. And then God reminded me that it's so much bigger than I can see in this moment. That I hurt now, but I remembered that God is bigger, that this hurts, but that I have hope. That this life isn't all there is, that I have the hope of eternity. See, this morning you might have prayed prayers that weren't answered in the way you wanted. You might have lost loved ones. You, you might have lived, you might be living with sickness. Today, I believe that God wants to encourage you to pray the impossible prayers again, to not stay knocked down, to receive God's resurrection, to believe again. And maybe this morning, your impossible prayer is simply, God, help me to trust you again. God, I feel broken and bruised and disappointed and mad, but I know that you are good and loving and full of hope and grace. So God, help me to trust you. See, this morning, what's your impossible prayer? Where are you with God? Have you been living life knocked back on your back and, and not yet having been able to get up and the event that knocked you over was years ago? And I'm not saying it doesn't hurt as much today as it did then. But God has a life for you on your feet and He wants to help you up. Maybe this morning your impossible prayer needs to be, God, I want to dream again. God, I want to believe in you again. Not, not just in a way that, yeah, I come to church and I believe you for my salvation, something that, that feels far off and, and away from me, ethereal, but I want to believe you today for tomorrow. I want to be able to believe that not only are you my salvation, but that you're going to walk into my workplace tomorrow with me and help me to share that you are my hope, that you are truth and love and grace. See, maybe you're here this morning and the impossible prayer you need to pray is, God, I need to trust you. But maybe you're here this morning and the impossible prayer you need to pray is, God, there's something massive that I know you want me to do. And I've been too scared to speak it out in case it doesn't work. God, help me to trust you that I can be humble enough and bold enough 
to stand up and say, my God can make the sun stand still. So in front of everyone, sun, stand still. This moment that seems impossible, this situation that seems irreversible, this relationship that seems irreparable, this hurt in your heart that seems like it will never go away, sun, stand still. See, here's the thing. Tonight we've got the 5 p.m. service at Webb Street, 39 Webb Street. For those of you who don't know, it's our church offices. And tonight we're going to be focusing on this idea of prayer and prophecy. And in a minute, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. I'm going to, going to create an altar call. But, but I want you to, to, to realize that, that maybe the work you need to do with God isn't going to fit in a tidy, neat, five-minute prayer and altar call space at the 10 a.m. service that maybe God is calling you to put some skin in the game to come to the 5 p.m. and spend an hour on your knees doing some business with Him. See, the dreams that you carry, the missions that God has given you, the purposes that you were born for, they are too precious to not invest in. God wants to do too much through you. God believes in you too much. You are too valuable to Him. To have church just be, you know, just appearing on a Sunday morning, doing our bit and then going home and, and living the rest of our week on our own. Where is it in your life you need to do some business? You need to go a little bit deeper. So this morning, just as everyone bows their heads and closes their eyes. I think for all of us, we have an impossible prayer. I think for, for all of us, we have an impossible dream. We have something that God wants to do in and through us that just seems too big, seems too scary. Maybe this morning it's just trusting Him again. Maybe this morning it's something massive at work or in your family or your relationship or your finances or your health. But just now, as, as, just as the band plays, as your head is bowed, I just want you to just pray a prayer to God. The person next to you won't hear you. Pray it under your breath if you want. Pray it out loud if you can. But just tell God, it, it, it just needs to be a sentence, a word. God, I'm believing for this. Come on, let's present it to Him. Let's not shy away from the impossible just because everyone else tells us we can't. Because God tells us we can't. Will you be humble enough to pray? And then what are you going to do about it? Where is the effort going to come in? Where is the, the reconciliation that you're going to bring about by stepping out? Where is the opportunity that you're going to step into by being bold enough? Where is the healing that you're going to facilitate by reaching out for help? What is it? What, what's the prayer and what's the action? So just as everyone's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, God, this morning we sit here, we stand here, we are here as your people. God, knowing that we have the rights afforded to us by your son's death for our salvation. God, and we pray our impossible prayers. God, right now we say them under our breath. Right now we say them to ourselves, but we know that you call us to stand up in front of everyone and to boldly declare. And God, we know that we're on a journey that we will stand and boldly declare who you are, that you have called us, that you have set us apart and that we can trust in you again. God, we know that you are good. God, we know that you are holy. And so in Jesus' name we say amen.
em mim.